Okay. Welcome back, everyone. I do appreciate everyone coming. Um, we are Olamidas Chabura number 17. We're in the Midah of MS. I think this will be the last uh, Chabura on MS. And in Hashem, the next Midah will be uh, my personal favorite, and that is the Midah of, of Kavod. So we're discussing being honest with other people. And it begins, like we mentioned last week, with being honest, very honest, very aware about, about what's going on within ourselves. When a person asks us a question and we don't know the answer, maybe uh, it's more common with boys learning. Um, so people are embarrassed often to say they don't know. So sometimes people give answers that are incorrect. Some people, sometimes people say they're not sure, uh, which is just an arrogant way of saying, I don't know. Um, we have to teach ourselves to be humble, to be honest. Honesty takes humility, because in order to be honest, we have to be willing to humble ourselves. There's an incredible story, beautiful story, the Alter Navarik brings in Majegas Adam, which is a very powerful lesson. Rabbi Sol Salanter, the founder of the Musr movement, we are all hopefully able to consider ourselves Talmidim of, of Rabbi Sol Salanter. Parenthetically, you know, Rabbi Sol started a movement. It was not popular. Why was Musr not popular? Did people not believe in working on themselves? Did people not believe in perfecting themselves, their midos, their relationship to Hashem? So it seems my understanding is that it used to be people were able to just focus on their learning. And maybe the women were already learning muster, I don't know. But they were just able to focus on their learning and they were able to connect to Hashem from the power of the Torah alone. Rabbi Yisrael saw that as the generations became weaker, their tire maybe was not on the same level of, of Lashma. So he saw that without concentrated effort, without concentrated effort on oneself, people were falling, falling apart. People were lacking in their character trait, even though they were learning Tyra. And Rabbi Yisrael started what is known today as a Musr movement. And Rabbi Yisrael was the God of Hadar. He was an incredible genius, incredible Talmud Chacham. My Rebbe told us at one time, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, people were trying to get him. People were trying to get him because people were very against the Muslim movement. Of course, L'Shem Shemayim. Now, they wouldn't know if they were L'Shem Shemayim, maybe, because they didn't learn Muslim. But there are people that are anti the Muslim movement. I'm sure even great people that were L'Shem Shemayim that were anti the Muslim movement. And Rabbi Yisrael would go to different places and give shiurim, not necessarily only in Muslim, but he would give a shir in Gemara and Halacha and other areas in order to first make sure that people understood that it was a Talmud Chacham. You know, when a person's known for their Musr, then they all of a sudden get a rap for being an Ama Aretz, for not knowing, for not knowing so much Taira. You know, you know. So by me, I have a rap for 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 Musr. So it happens to be true. I don't know so much Taira, but I will say that I try. I try. Most of my day is, is, is not on Musr. Most of my day is other subjects. But 
But people think that if someone's learning Musar, like Mesil Zisharm talks about, that they're lacking maybe intelligence, so they can't learn Gemara, they can't learn other things, they can't learn Machshava, so they, they default, they turn to Musar. So Bishra would give Shi'urim complex, brilliant Shi'urim and other topics in Taira to show that, not to show off, but to show that he knew Taira, and yet he's saying everybody must learn Musar. One time, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta would post the Mar Makomos, would post the sources of his shear outside the base Medish. And this way people would have a few hours, I'm not sure how much time, people would be able to look through the sources, and this way they'll be able to prepare for the shear. It was not an easy shear, I'm sure, to follow. One time some of the anti-Rabbi Yisrael, one of the anti-Rabbi Yisrael people decided to take the paper down and switch the sources switch the sources to a whole different set of random sources. No connection to each other, just a bunch of random sources that the person made up in order that Rabbi Yisrael wouldn't be embarrassed when the people will prepare the shear and then he's going to come and I'll have to, you know, what's Rabbi Yisrael going to do? Maybe a mustard test? Is he going to say that somebody switched it? He tried to, get, you know, make it hard for Rabbi Yisrael. Rabbi Yisrael, on the way into the base medish, on the way into the room, he glances he notices the sheet was changed. He looks through all the marmakaimais, and then he went out and gave an entire shear, connecting all those different sources that, that had nothing really to do with each other. Rabbi Yisrael was so brilliant and so knowledgeable that he was able to connect all these different sources into a magnificent shear. So Rabbi Yisrael would give these brilliant shiurim, and as well he would preach, teach about Musar. One time, Rabbi Yisrael was giving one of these shiurim, and there was a student there. The student was a Talmud of Rav Mordechai Meltzer, and Rav Meltzer maybe was against, against the Muslim movement. And this Talmud was trying to see if he could ask a kasha, try to slug up the great Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. So during the shear, Rabbi Yisrael was giving the shear, and one of the, this Talmud, the student of Rav Meltzer, he asked the question on Rabbi Yisrael's shear. And Rabbi Yisrael stopped, and he said, I don't know, it's a good question on my shear, and he walked down. And afterwards, Rabbi Yisrael said privately to his Talmudim, he said, I had five different ways to answer his question. And each of these five ways would have been enough to quiet him and to make him happy that he wouldn't have a question anymore. But I knew in my heart that none of these answers were the right answer. And the question was better than my answers. And I said to myself, Yisrael, Yisrael, you learn Musar, leave him be. Don't give, don't give a fake, don't give a false answer. And he walked, and he walked down. And the altar Navardic, the Madrigus Adam comments on the story and he says, an unbelievable thing. Rabbi Yisrael had every reason, every excuse to pull a little bit of a shaker. It's not a full shaker, I mean, maybe, possibly, but he had every opportunity, every excuse. If I, if I step down, if I admit that I don't know the answer, people are going to think I'm not such a Talmud Chacham. People are going to discredit my Musar movement. 
Rabbi Yisrael felt that he had to be honest and he said he has to be honest and whatever is going to be, is going to be. If Hashem doesn't want him to have an impact right now, he won't have an impact, but Hashem, he'll do the right thing and Hashem will take care of the rest. And the Alter Nevada concludes with an unbelievable thought. He, does, he doesn't say it exactly this way, but along these lines. If Rabbi Yisrael had given one of those five answers, we would not be talking about this story right now, would we? We didn't talk about any other shir that Rabbi Yisrael gave. I'm not familiar if there any, if it was written down, any of these shirim. Baruch Hashem, we have a great gift today. Great gift called recording. What a gift. What a gift Hashem gave. I, I consider it I consider it writing down. It's writing down. Unbelievable gift. Imagine, imagine, imagine if we had those recordings of the of Gedalim from the past. Wow. Wow. I'd, I would be out of business, but we'd have so much treasures to listen to. But we wouldn't be talking about this story. We wouldn't talk about Shir. But because Rabbi Shaw was honest, what had a greater impact on the Musar movement? What a greater impact on Musar? him stepping down, because till this day, we're talking about this honesty of Yisrael and inspired by the honesty of Yisrael Salanter. And he accomplished more for the Muslim movement in the long run by stepping down. Many times we're faced with challenges of being honest, and it's not always pleasant to be honest. And many times we have excuses not to be honest. And sometimes those excuses are, are I'm not saying there's never a reason, Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we'll need another week on MS. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I don't want to be dishonest before. But, but, but many times we justify. We have excuses to be dishonest. If I'm honest, people are going to think I'm not such a great, good, such a great girl. If I'm honest, people are going to think this. People are going to think that. Laman Hashem. Laman Hashem. I'm going to lie. But you have to check yourself very well. Because very easily... We convince ourselves it's a man Hashem, but really it's a man ourselves. It's really for ourselves. One of the things we need to one of the things we need to work on is admitting admitting we're wrong, admitting when we make a mistake. What happens when we're unable to admit we make a mistake? When we're unable to admit we make a mistake, I'm sure this probably has happened to you once in your life. Maybe a little bit dishonest, maybe covered up covered up for something. But then something else happened. And then you had to cover up for that. And then another thing happened. And then you had to cover up for that. And then you got entangled in a bunch of lies. Now, there's no mitzvah. No mitzvah to be damakav schus on, on Bernie Madoff. Maybe it's forbidden to be damakav schus on Bernie Madoff. But, but I think there's a lesson there that I, I suggest. I suggest this is a reasonable theory. My theory, you know, I didn't study what happened. But my theory of Bernie Madoff, who stole uh, millions, hundreds of millions, I don't remember the numbers, of money from people, and it's a terrible, terrible crime, hurt so many people, took away there, there are many, many good people from people. People were hurt by Bernie Madoff. But you know what probably happened? What happened was he would have taken people's money, and he was... And he would give them a good percent because he had a lot of hatzlacha, a lot of success with his investments. And he was giving people, let's say, 10%, which is an incredible amount. And people gave him money and people gave him money. And he was giving people great returns. 
And then one time, one year, he had a very bad year, let's say. He had a very bad to hard time. And he started losing money. And he started losing more money. But he always felt, okay, I can get it back. So I'll take money from more people because if I hit it, if I hit it this time, I'll slowly be able to get back to where I was. I'll slowly get back and I'll be able to pay everybody back. And then I'll borrow from more people. And I'll, I'll lie to more people. I have to lie to them and tell them that, that I'm doing well because otherwise they're not going to give me money and I won't be able to pay the first people back, etc., etc., etc. And then he got entangled in a lie that he couldn't get out of. I mean, the only way to get out of it would have been him coming clean. But he didn't come clean. He got stuck in his own lie, trapped in his own lie. And it could be once he got used to lying, maybe, maybe he didn't feel guilty, feel bad. I don't know. But the bottom line is it probably started with a lot of justification and getting trapped in one lie into another, into another. It's a slippery slope, the slope of lying. As Chazal say, Avera, Gereras, Avera. So we have to be careful, to be honest, and pat yourself on the back. If you could be honest and just say, it's my fault. I was wrong. One of the reasons why people have a hard time changing, one of the, hard, one of the reasons why hard, people have a hard time changing, I believe I heard this idea from Rekela Shlita, that people have a hard time changing because if you change, you're admitting that your past was wrong, right? Let's say a girl, you know, let's say a girl wasn't dressed as sneeze as she should, or not unsneeze, but maybe she decides she wants to take her sneeze to a new level. And, but then she's going to be embarrassed because people are going to say, well, now you're dressing like this. And yesterday you didn't dress like that. So that means yesterday you were dressing wrong. Maybe it wasn't even wrong, but it looks like yesterday she was dressing wrong. When you change, you're admitting that your past needed correction. And many people don't want to admit that their past needed correction, so therefore they never change. Imagine stuck your whole life in your averos, in your present, because you don't want to admit that you could be better. You don't admit that your past had needed correction. I was blown away. I remember years ago, I was blown away when I saw a man walk into a shul and he was bald. Very inspiring story. The man walked into the shul one, sh- one morning and he was bald. It was very, very inspiring because I was pretty sure that a few days earlier, this man had a head full of hair and I was very confused. I'm not the swiftest guy in the, of the bunch. And I realized that obviously, the person had been wearing a toupee, and now the person decided to take it off. And I had a theory, maybe, maybe the person realized, maybe he was told that it's an issue with his tefillin, it's a, an other halachic issue with him wearing the toupee. I'm not uh, saying it is or not, but he felt it wasn't the right thing, and he decided he's gonna drop, he's gonna take off the toupee. But you have to understand, besides the fact people look at you now, what happened to your hair. But you're also admitting that your past behavior, you're admitting that wearing the toupee maybe wasn't the right course of action. And now you've decided to change. That is godless. That is greatness. It is greatness and we're able to admit that we were wrong. And that's, that's the only way we're going to be able to change. If we're able to admit that we made mistakes, if we're able to admit that we were wrong. Let's continue a little bit further on the topic of MS. I'll share with you a beautiful Gemara in Sanhedrin. You may have heard the Gemara, a beautiful Gemara in Sanhedrin, on Daf 
Sadi Zayin Amr Aleph. The Gemara says that there was a there was a place called Kushta. There was a place called Kushta. Kushta in Aramaic means truth. In this place of Kushta, nobody would tell a lie, and because of that, none of the people died before their time. So we see a connection between being honest and and living a long time. And there's a, a person named Rev Tavus, Rev Tavius, that he visited the city and they let him in. They let him live there. I guess they trusted that he was an honest fellow and he was. But one day this Rev Tavius was, was home and his wife was inside the house washing her hair. And the neighbor came and knocked on the door and the neighbor wanted to speak to her. So thinking Rev Tavius felt it was not sneistic. To tell, him, to tell her, the neighbor, that his wife was washing her hair. You see the mylas of, 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 of sneas they had? He didn't want to even say she was washing her hair. He said she's not home. And because of that, he was punished. Again, probably because this was a city that stood for MS, there was a harsh punishment on him. And two of his children died. And the people of the city came over to him. Of course, they felt bad. But they asked them, what is this? This never happened in our town. And he told them the story, and they said, please, we beg you, you have to leave the city. What did he do? What did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? He said he, he had to, he couldn't say his wife is washing hair. It wasn't appropriate. It wasn't sneeze. Well, the the pshat and the gemara is simple pshat, is he didn't have to say she wasn't home. He could have said she's not available. She can't come to the door right now. And this is an important idea we touched on a little bit last week, that even when we need, even when we need to deviate a little bit, we don't, we don't, first of all, if we don't have to lie, we don't have to lie. We say, person calls to your house and your parents don't want to pick up the phone, say not available. Many people just, it flips out of, comes out of our mouth, not home. We don't have any hesitation. We lose the sensitivity from lying. We mentioned when Yaakov Avinu came, to, to, to Yitzchak. He said, Anaychi, Esau Rashi says that Yaakov was saying, Anaychi, Yaakov, I am Yaakov, Esau Becharecha, Esau, you're firstborn. This Rashi, this Chazal seems, seems ridiculous. Come on, that's not lying. So people walk out of this Rashi with a lot of good excuses to lie. Oh, I didn't really say it. I didn't mean this. I meant, <laughs> so I am Yaakov, I M, Yaakov, Esav is your firstborn. That's not what he said. He said, he said, I am Esav. But the answer is, I heard this from my Rebbe, I believe, but Yaakov wanted to keep as much as possible to not lying, at least for himself, to keep the sensitivity. So he said, I am, maybe whispered to himself or in his mind, Yaakov, Esav Becharecha, to avoid as much as possible. It reminds me of a great story. Did not write this down. Great story my Rebbe said over, my parents said over about his father. They used to have someone come over to their house in South Ozen Park, I believe, that was not a very normal person, but they were very nice to him and they had him over. The person was not 100%, but he was very mocked but on cleanliness. He was very mocked but on everything should be clean. And one time, and the rabbits in Per, Rosh Hashiva's mother, Allah Shalom, she, she would always prepare clean sheets. She would prepare nicely for him. She'd prepare him clean sheets. One time he came over, the Rebbitzin wasn't prepared, didn't have time, and the sheets were not clean. They were used, but they didn't have time to change it. 
and they're sitting around the table wherever they were standing. And the person said, you know, it's so I love coming here, the rabbits in and all. She always cleans, the, always has clean sheets for me. Rabbi Peres' father was, 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 was bothering him because it was a lie. It was a, it was a lie for, for him because he's just going to smile <coughs> and go along with it. So Rabbi Peres' father said, don't be so sure. <laughs> don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. Such a godless, such a godless. He said, don't be so sure. He didn't say they weren't clean. Couldn't call out the rabbits in. But he said, don't be so sure. He felt he, he couldn't just sit there and go along with the lie without doing something, without doing something. This is a sensitivity that we need to acquire. We should be zocha to acquire. It takes work to acquire. For this beautiful mida of MS, I'm sorry, I didn't, it wasn't, I don't think it was a lie, but it turns out it wasn't, it wasn't true. It looks like we will have another, uh, another shear on, on, on MS next week. Although Monday night, um, we have a special, special shear Monday night um, based on some requests that we, we received. Um, we do question, questions and answers on the topic of Shaduchim. You could um, send in, in order to make it work well, send in your, get send in any questions you have. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but uh, maybe we'll look for questions that repeat themselves. But you could send in the questions to, um, uh, you could send in the questions to either, uh, to email olamhamidoschabura at gmail.com, olamhamidoschabura at gmail.com. Chabura does not have H at the end of it, or you could text uh, Sarabela 201-243-8750 or Shifi 929-363-9433. Also, that's information for anyone uh, who's listening and wants to, is not on the list and wants to join. Um, Okay, let's see if we have any questions. Okay, we have a question. Uh, that's a good question. Okay, we discussed last time that we don't have to forgive anyone if they don't ask for forgiveness. How come when we say Rabbanu Shalom before Shema at night, we forgive everyone and no one should be punished be- because of us? Thank you for everything. You're welcome. That's a very good question. I don't know. There were, there were times where someone gave me a lot of pain and I said, See, I don't think, you know, we say it in Hebrew, so maybe because Hebrew is not our natural language, so we don't feel we have to, you know, mean what we say. But probably, mm-hmm. if there is somebody we don't forgive, I don't think we should be allowed to say that, that we're Michael everybody, because we're not. And if we say it, so uh, that's a problem. <laughs> it's get a little bit tedious to say, Arani Michael Chutzme, Sarah, so and so, Leah, her, her, not her, not her. Um, that's a tough question. Tough question that Chazal make a nusa that really puts us in a difficult position. I don't have the answer, but I do feel strongly that the people that have been really hurt are coming to me and saying, How, how could I, how, like feeling guilty? How do I, how, how can I be Mokal? You know, as, as, they're oblig- as if they're obligated to be Michael, I'm not aware of such a thing. You're obligated to Michael people that could care less that they've hurt you. So maybe you could say I'm Michael anybody that, that wants Mechila, you know. Um, 
but you're not obligated to be Michael, and it's a good question. And when you say it at night, you try to mean it, try to mean what we say, not just say the words, mean what we say. And if we have to say chutz, you can say chutz, and you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel guilty. Of course, if we can come to the point that we're Michael a person, like I mentioned, then you say, Hashem, I don't deserve forgiveness. Uh, please forgive me. I forgive so-and-so. I don't want the person punished because of me, even though really uh, they haven't asked forgiveness. But I don't want them to be punished. I don't gain from their punishment. So I'm Michael. Um, you, you're, that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Uh, but I, I'm not going to say that you're obligated. I think that is a dangerous material. Um, okay, another question. Is it okay to half answer a question or carefully word an answer not to lie, but not to divulge information you don't want? Um, yeah, I think so. I also want to say a chiddush, uh, because it happened to me when I was, when I was, uh, when I was younger. I still remember. It goes back, uh, you know, 25 years ago. I remember somebody asking me a question that was private and I was caught off guard. It wasn't a close friend of mine. It was like a random person who I guess didn't have social uh, grace and just asked me a question that was private. And I lied. And I said to myself, I didn't feel guilty. I said to myself that I have a right to lie because the person had no right to ask me the question. If I would say, it wasn't a question I could say, I don't know. You know, sometimes you could say, I don't know. It wasn't a question that I could say, I don't know. It was a yes or no answer, and I felt that it was that they intruded on my privacy. So I, I didn't. I think that was that was proper. You're not obligated to tell the truth when someone has put you in a position that they've you know of, of, of in a position that's not fair. In shidduchim, sometimes where we're not supposed to divulge information, um, you may have to not say something. Now maybe the not saying something could imply something, but you know you be be careful not to not careful not to outright lie. Um, you don't have to divulge, divulge all, all information. I've had cases where I wasn't sure. You know, someone says, uh, does this person have a mental health issue? I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure is, is a done. Is a, is, um, the person's done. If you're not sure, that's a big problem. But so if I'm not sure, I, I, just, I just say not that I, not that I know about. It. I mean, I'm supposed to tell them I'm not sure. I mean, that, that's basically saying that there's a real problem, and I'm not sure there is a real problem. Uh, so my, I don't think my suffering, my unsure, gives me the right to to slam this person in a, you know, I say the justice system in America is completely messed up. Everyone, they say innocent until proven guilty. Put the person on the front page of the paper, uh, embarrass the person, take away his business, take away his money, ruin his family, and then decide his case. And if he's innocent, maybe, maybe he'll be in the back page of the paper in a year or two from now when the case is done. If that, nobody cares that he's innocent two years later. Everyone knows him as guilty from the front page of the paper. That's not innocent until proven guilty. That is disgusting, and it's Lashon Hara and total Motsu Shemra against our beautiful Tyra. It's disgusting. So when you say certain things that make a person look guilty, you know, you put them in front of the paper, by you know, there, there are Heterim, or certainly the right thing to do to avoid, avoid, avoid saying things. Um, you know, we merit Hashem, we will discuss um, I don't know. I thought I didn't see it in English. I didn't see it now. It must be here somewhere. Yeah, Mirzajan will discuss next week about about lying for the sake of peace um, and maybe how to use that use that properly. Is there such a thing as being too honest? Yeah, if you're going to incriminate someone else, like we just mentioned, or um, you know, going to harm other people. 
we'll discuss in Mitzvah next week situations where honesty is not a good thing. You can insult someone's feelings when you're honest. Person says, "How do you like my dress?" And you say it's disgusting because you're so honest. Um, maybe I'll tell you next week a beautiful mashal from the Benishchai. Just remembered beautiful mashal from Benishchai about 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 being too honest. Um, okay, let's do one more. How do you work on getting over your resentment you have towards someone? You have a friend who's very vocal about their growth and it bothers you. Okay, we'll deal with the second part of that question. What do you do with a friend that's very vocal about their growth and it bothers you? So somebody shows off how much they're growing. Ah, I'm working so hard on my midos, especially the midah of humility. It's unbelievable. Well, you know, um, I think there's an important idea. When people show off, um, it gets very gets people angry. Um, and I think we have to ask ourselves, which is a Musser technique, is ask yourself, why are you getting angry that that person's showing off? Why does it get angry the person showing off? What about that person showing off bothers you? I don't know if I'm going to answer that right now. I need to think about it. But I like to think about that. Why does it bother my person showing off? So what is showing off? So why does it bother me? Oh, it bothers me because I feel bad. I feel they're better than me. But I don't feel they're better than me. I feel that, that they're just being arrogant. So think about really why it's bothering you. That's an important thing to think about. And once you figure that out, you may have a way to deal with it. But another, way to, another, another idea here is that people that show off often, often are looking for approval. They don't have enough self-worth, which will be our next topic. And they're looking for approval. When people show off to me, um, I try to recognize them and say, yeah, that's beautiful, that's great. If they need approval, let me give it to them. So instead of fighting their arrogance and instead of, you know, trying to bust their bubble because you can't stand the fact they're showing off, try this approach. That's amazing. That's great. It's wonderful. You're, you're, so, you're such a great person. I think that's a helpful tool. Accept, accept it and praise them. Build them up and maybe build them up to the point that they feel good about themselves for real and they won't need to show off anymore. People that are showing off are looking for approval. Maybe if they got enough approval, um, they wouldn't need to show off anymore. They would, it would feel good without the need to try to get everyone's uh, attention. Um, okay, so some of these questions are Shaduchim, which gives me a pass till next week. Um, uh, the last question, which I have no answer, but I'll, I'll be honest and read it. Okay, how do you know the difference between a problem and a midah and a possible mental health issue? I think there's a gray area, gray area between mental health issues and midos. I, I don't, from a tire perspective, I don't look so much at mental health issues. I have a little bit of studying in mental health. I learned to bissel, bissel. But, um, you know, from Mido's perspective, you're not going to find in, 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 in the Orcha Siddiquim, Misil Sharm, you're not going to find in the Svarim uh, discussion mental health issues. Uh, I'm not saying they don't exist, but there is overlap between the two. And I do feel a lot of Mido's issues become, are labeled. You know, child's opposite defiant disorder because a child has some anger issues. You know, labels people think means that it's a, it's like a, like a sickness that can't be worked with. Um, just like it's, it's uh, so don't, don't get confused that just because something is labeled a mental health issue or disorder, that means that it's not, it is, it's also a, it's a Midos issue and it can be worked on. Whether with a therapist, whether learning Musar, with a Rebbe, um, 
you know, obviously there's certain things like trauma that person may need like a doctor, like a, you know, type of metal, you know, a mental health type of expertise. Um, but a lot of issues like anger and other issues are very much need those issues. I have a theory on, you know, um, borderline personality, which may be incurable. Um, I don't know if it is or not. I think according to the mental health thing, it's almost incurable. But a lot of mental health issues are lying in self-esteem. Somebody with very little self-esteem really comes out with a lot of, a lot of difficulties and a lot of disorders. I do believe that learning Musar and working on herself can, can, can improve and can overcome issues that even the, the psychologists will call mental health issues. The same way a therapist can help people and that people understand, so Musar also helps people. And there's certainly overlap between techniques in Musar and techniques in mental health. Uh, we have to be careful not to mix the two. And I don't know, you know exactly where you draw the line, um, but there is overlap. And certainly, certainly Midos, working on our Midos gives us a tool to work on issues that other people will call mental health issues, um, 100%. Are there mental health issues that are beyond learning Musar? Um, yes, there are issues maybe that are beyond that a person needs, needs professional help. Um, okay, everyone should have an excellent night. Okay, reminder, Monday, special questions and answers. Um, okay, thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much.